This is Joel Johnson, Senior Minister at Parkview Christian Church. I want to thank you for listening to our sermons online. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me by email at joeljohnson at parkviewfinley.org. Now on television, you can find a competition television show that and see people competing in any variety of, of event that you want. You can see cooking competitions. You can see races of people traveling across the world. One of the competitions that I love to watch, you might find on the second or third ESPN channel. It's the World's Strongest Man competition. I don't know if you've seen these muscle-bound, hulking men competing to see who is the strongest of them all. They have incredible events, things that you would think are are impossible for a human to do, and and they're doing them. One of them is called the uh, Hercules Hold, and they put the competitor on a platform holding a chain in each hand, and the chains are attached to pillars that are leaning out away from the competitor. Hundreds of pounds of weight, and the goal is not to, to lift the weight. The goal is just to hold it there for as long as they can, and you can see them exerting their strength, trying to endure, and as the time ticks by, they, they start to shake. The strain is evident in their faces. It's just amazing to watch. Now, the last competitor has the benefit of seeing all the other times posted before he steps up and he can just hold on until he's a little bit beyond the last guy and let go the first competitor though doesn't have that advantage and they they stand and struggle just holding on as long as they possibly can but they they measure strength in a variety of ways some of the ways that they measure strength for the competition is just lifting large amounts and the weight increases and they keep going up there are there are some of the events where they are racing over distance measured in time, and and they're carrying weight and and trying to beat the other guys, and it it is fascinating to watch. There are other events, like the Hercules Hold, where they are measuring endurance, a variety of ways to measure strength. Have you ever thought about how you would measure your own strength? Physically, we have very quantifiable ways to measure strength. What about your emotional strength? What about the strength of your faith? How would you begin to measure that? What, what metrics would, would you use? What about the strength of the church? How would you evaluate the strength of a church? What, what numbers would you use to try and quantify that? In, in the letter to the church at Philadelphia, the next to last letter that we find in, in Revelation that Jesus gave to John to deliver to seven churches in Asia, Jesus talked about the strength of the church. And and as he did so, he associated their strength with their patient endurance, with their ability to be faithful, true to his word, not denying his name in the face of difficulty. That's that's how he pointed to the strength that they had. We're going to read this letter. It's found in Revelation chapter 3, beginning of verse 7. If you have a Bible and you would like to open up and read with me, I'd encourage you to do that. The verses will be on the screen behind me. They're also in the YouVersion app. If you want to use the YouVersion app, just open the Bible app on a phone or tablet. Search under events for Parkview Finley, and you'll find scripture and sermon notes there in the YouVersion app. Let's begin reading along together, beginning in verse 7. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. 
I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they're not, but they're liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who's victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears to hear, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, this letter is written to ancient Philadelphia. The name of the city, much like modern Philadelphia, means brotherly love. Ancient Philadelphia was was on a crossroads. Uh, uh, if you were journeying from one place to another, uh, different pl- different people groups, different places, the roads crossed, trade routes uh, intersected at. Philadelphia. It was also a place where the Roman postal route intersected. And so the inhabitants there met lots of people. There were people who would stop on their way to another place. Uh, a lot of turnover, a lot of new faces all the time. Philadelphia is known for the production of wine. They have wineries. They also have vineyards there where they grow grapes. Even to this day, they still in that location are known for wine making. Uh, another interesting fact there are earthquakes that plagued this particular part of, of that world. And uh, the inhabitants at the ancient time were known to, when they would start to feel the rumbles, they would flee into the countryside so that when those structures they had built for homes or other businesses or places of worship, when the, when the rumbling started and those buildings started to crumble, they wouldn't be caught inside. They would go flee the city, wait for the aftershocks to subside, and then come back into town to evaluate damage, see how they needed to rebuild and make sure everyone was okay. And an interesting way to, to realize all the difficulty they faced with the world around them, with all of the people passing through, with the the physical problems of the earthquakes, and from what we read in this reading of the letter, the difficulty they had with this synagogue in conflict with the believers in the church there, refusing to acknowledge them as part of the family of God, if refusing to acknowledge them as, as true believers, they were facing significant difficulty in the world around them in a variety of ways, this, this constant pressure. And, and Jesus noted their strength, and he provided words of encouragement to them that we want to talk about now. Let's begin in, in verse 7. Jesus opened up his, his letter, again, acknowledging who he was, signing off in this opening with his identity, a picture of his nature and his character, and also uh, words that we read in chapter 1 of Revelation, this, this image that John saw of, of Jesus in his glory in heaven. And so each of the letters begins with a, a brief snippet of that image, but also with other information about who Jesus is. Here, Jesus says, these are the words of him who is holy and true. I want to define these words so that we gain a bit of more understanding of, of the, the character and nature of Jesus. The definition of holy means different separate, set apart. 
Now, that's the, that's the literal definition. There's also a connotation that enhances that meaning, not only to be set apart, but to be set apart because of righteousness, because of the good. And, and when we use the word holy, we, we use it to mean just that. We talk about maybe a, a, a well-known theologian or a monk or Mother Teresa. We say that's a holy person because their life looks different from the world around them. Maybe because they've made specific decisions about things they won't do, sacrifices that they've made. And they live a devout life. They live a life of prayer, of scripture reading and study. And we see in them something that looks very different from the world around them. Jesus said, I am holy we're acknowledging the fact that he is different from the people around him. There's something that sets him apart, not only in distinction, but also in righteousness, in sinlessness. And it is an alignment with God that we acknowledge Jesus also proclaiming his deity as God is holy. Throughout scripture, God is called the Holy One. And other places in the New Testament, Jesus is called the Holy One of God. And we acknowledge the holiness of God in the fact that he is completely other than we are. Now, we were made in his image, and so there are aspects of God's character, his nature, that are reflected in us. But God himself is completely distinct and other than we are, not only in the fact that he's distinct, but also in the fact that he is righteous and just and pure. And Jesus identified himself there as holy and true. The definition of true, we would acknowledge as being right, correct, the opposite of false, but also this connotation of authenticity. This is the true Christ. He is holy and true, the real deal, the authentic Messiah and Lord. Here's the third descriptor that we have in verse 7. Jesus said, I hold the key of David. And when I open a door, no one shuts it. When I close a door, no one can open it. Now, this is a, a phrase that we find only in one other place in Scripture. It's Isaiah chapter 22. It's the kingdom of Judah. There is a high-ranking official in the kingdom of Judah. Isaiah is given a prophecy that this high-ranking official will be removed from office. His successor, God says, I will give the key of the house of David. Now, we hear that word. And, and I think master key, a key that unlocks every door in the palace. Like, I have a master key that opens every lock inside the building of the church. My master key, though, is a duplicate copy. So if I unlock a door, someone can come behind me with a different master key and lock the door that I unlocked. If I try and keep something locked so nobody can get in there, somebody else with a master key can come and unlock the door that I have just locked. This key, however, for Jesus, when he closes the door, no one opens it. Now, this is not just a master key, a physical key. This is, this is a symbol of authority, that Jesus has the right to close a door and not have anyone else come behind him and think that they're going to open it. They can't do it even if they tried. But think of the authority that goes with that, and even, in, even in this uh, Old Testament reference, they've been given the authority of the house of David to close a door, and anyone who comes behind it would say, whoa, that's who closed that door. I'm not going to open it. I don't want to incur the wrath of that person. For Jesus, there's authority in terms of the kingdom. When he closes the door, no one opens it. When he opens the door, no one closes it. And we're going to see this, this theme of an open door as we talk more about this letter. An open door standing before the church that no one can close. Significant, uh, especially as we think about how the synagogue tried to close the door of the kingdom 
of access to the family of God on this church and saying, you don't belong with us. We are true worshipers. We're descendants of Abraham. You believe Jesus is the Messiah. You're not a part of the family of God. And while they tried to close that door, Jesus said, no, I've placed this open door in front of you. We're going to talk more about what that means when we get to that portion of the letter. But right now we want to think about the, the authority and the trust that we have in Jesus, who holds the key of David. Now, it reminds me of those old superhero cartoons when the hero would save the city and they would go before town hall with the mayor and this huge parade of people and they'd gather and celebrate and the mayor would hand this massive key over to the hero. And you would think about the gates of the city and you put this big key in and you turn it and the, the gates pop up. It's, it's not a big key that opens a lock. It's a key that symbolizes authority, symbolizes trust, that the mayor and every person in town is saying this is a that this hero is someone that we don't mind having access to our homes and places of business. We trust them to protect us. We respect them and their authority. This is the imagery we have with the key of David. That there is authority and trust that we have in the Lord, access to our lives, and a willingness to acknowledge that when he opens a door, we don't try and close it. And when he opens a door in front of us, even though sometimes we might be tempted to try and shut that door and not go through it. It's open for a reason. And the Lord's placed it before us for a reason. And we have to acknowledge his authority in our lives, and submit and be obedient to where he's calling us to go. Here's what Jesus said as he continued speaking to the church at Philadelphia. He said, I know your deeds. I've placed before you this open door no one can shut. I know you have little strength. Yet you've kept my word and haven't denied my name. Now, here's three very, very distinct different statements. We want to continue talking about this second statement, this open door that Jesus placed before the church at Philadelphia. And it's significant on different levels for them. The first level is what we talked about with the synagogue of Jews that Jesus called liars. They've been trying to close the door. And Jesus said, no, I've placed this open door in front of you that no one can close. Now, they say they can, they can close it, they can deny you access to the kingdom. They, they can't. I've opened it, and they don't have the right to close it. And we think about the encouragement that Jesus provided to the church to stand in the face of this conflict with this other, other religious group that was denying their faith in Jesus Christ, that Jesus was reassuring them, providing strength, providing comfort, sustaining them with, with these words. We think deeper about the meaning of a, an open door in front of a congregation, and, and we recall the words of Jesus in the Gospel of John. Uh, and we had a, a sermon series about this a few years ago. As Jesus described himself in a variety of ways, the I am statements in the book of John. And one of those statements, Jesus said, I am the gate, much like a door. And he talked about what it means for a shepherd to bring his sheep into an enclosure, an enclosure with an opening where a gate should be. And the shepherd becomes the gate and he'll lay down and sleep in that opening to make sure that none of the sheep can get out. When it's time to take them to pasture, he'll move and let the sheep go. At night when they come in, he will stand guard and not let any predators in to get the sheep. And Jesus said, I am, I am the gate. I am the door. And it's through me that you come to the Father in the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And we acknowledge that, as Jesus said, there's an open door in front of your, your church that no one can close, that he himself is the means by which the church comes into the kingdom when they accept him as Lord and Savior. And so the third layer of meaning to the door also opens up as the church 
fully understands the access Jesus has provided them to the kingdom that no one else can take from them, that no one can close them out. It also is the means by which other people might come in, that this church is poised for the opportunity to invite some of the other people that they're meeting, maybe on journeys from one place to another. They're stopping over in Philadelphia. There's so many people that this church has the opportunity to make an impact on for the kingdom of God, to introduce them to Jesus, that they might accept him as their Lord and Savior and enter in through that door as well into the kingdom of God, the family of God. It's very uh, strong meaning here in, in different layers that we understand for the church. That's the second statement. The first statement is this, I know your deeds. And Jesus said to the church of Philadelphia, I see not only what you're doing and who you are, but I know all the things, all the things about it. I know your deeds. And we tie that to the third statement. I know your deeds and I know that you have little strength, yet you kept my word and have not denied my name. Jesus acknowledged that this church, the number of people that were there, the way that they had been laboring for the Lord, the, the conflict and difficulty they had been facing, they had little strength, but they had used that strength to be faithful to him, faithful to keep his word, and faithful not to deny his name. Now, in other letters that we've read to other churches, denying the name of Jesus was, was what persecution was trying to accomplish, and so we... Uh, would tie that meaning together that this church probably also faced some kind of persecution to deny the name of Jesus. Maybe it was the influence of this synagogue of Jews to say, if you believe Jesus is the Messiah, you don't belong to the kingdom of God, do away with those beliefs, honor God alone. It could be a variety of things that have been pressed upon this congregation to deny the name of Jesus, but they haven't betrayed him. They have been faithful to his name. And the words that Jesus gave to this church are words that would have strengthened and encouraged them. And as we learn from these words that Jesus had, we learn that Jesus provides the strength that we need. No matter who we are, no matter where we are, when we lean on Jesus, when we trust him, when we depend on him for sustenance, to sustain our lives, provide for our lives, we know that he will provide everything that we need. Now, that may not be everything that we want, but it's definitely everything that we need. When we think of the work that he has for us to do, the, the tasks that he places before us for his kingdom, the relationships that we build that, that could draw people to him, he provides everything that we need for the job at hand to sustain us, to carry us through so that we'll remain standing after we have labored, after we have given of our time and energy and effort for the Lord, we will still be able to stand. And it's important for us to remember as this church, Jesus acknowledged that they had little strength. Now, what does it mean that they had little strength? Could be that they were a very small congregation. Many of the, the, the churches of the New Testament were house churches, just a small gathering of people within someone's home or within uh, maybe they used another building or synagogue to, uh, for their worship celebrations. But it's a very limited number of people. It could be that when they, when they counted the talents and abilities and, and, and resources of the people who were part of the church, what, what they had amounted to a small amount. It could be that they had been working and laboring and, and fighting against this confrontation from the synagogue for so long that they were weary and exhausted. They had little strength. But he said, that little strength, you've been faithful, true to my word, and not denied my name. And these words from Jesus encourage us in any situation that we might face in this world of the strength that he provides 
especially when we need it. And this morning, I want to I encourage you, especially those of you who are facing real difficulty right now in your lives, who are facing medical concerns that, that have become overwhelming to you and your family, those of you who are facing conflict in the workplace, and you're not sure about the future that you have where you're working, you're not sure about the relationships you have with a boss or a coworker. I want to want to encourage those of you who are struggling in your relationships, who are having real difficulty with friends and relatives. You've come to a point of conflict, and you you want that relationship to continue, but you're not quite sure how that's that's going to happen. Those of you who are struggling financially, and you just feel overwhelmed with the weight of, of debt. You're not entirely sure how you're going to pay it. Those of you who, who are facing conflict on a daily basis, voices in your life, people trying to get you to step away from your faith, trying to get you to believe what they stand for, trying to ridicule and diminish the beliefs you have in the word of God, trying to get you to align your thinking with them, if you're feeling overwhelmed today, if you're feeling like you don't have the strength to continue on, if you're not sure how you're going to continue facing these difficulties, I want to encourage you with these words of Jesus, that he sustains all things, this powerful word, that he provides the strength that we need to face the difficulties of today. Not because we're worthy enough for him to empower us, But because every one of those difficulties that we face is a powerful opportunity for us to proclaim the name of Jesus through our words, through our attitudes, and through our actions in front of other people. That as we stand under the weight of difficulty and care about others, as we stand under the weight of conflict and continue to show kindness as we, as we labor under the burden, under the weight of all the struggle. And we have patience that endures beyond what people think is possible. We have an opportunity to proclaim the truth about Jesus that has molded our lives and shaped us into his image in a way that shines his light in the world around us, in a way that proclaims his love to those who need to hear it. And every difficulty that we face that we stand under by the sustaining power of his word, every time we stand in the face of conflict with someone who's trying to tear us down and we smile back at them and, and respond with kind words, even though it's not at all what we want to say. We display the love of God in an unmistakable way that proclaims him in the world around us and the difficulties we face. While they might be overwhelming, what we need to do instead of focusing on those difficulties and letting them hinder our lives, we need to look beyond them and see the power of God that's going to carry us through, that's going to carry us over, that's going to help us stand above those conflicts so that we can proclaim the love of the Lord in the world around us. That's what God does when we trust his power. That's what God does in us and through us when we surrender everything to him, including the difficulties that we think we, maybe we should be handling those on our own. They become an incredible opportunity for us to introduce people to the love and the grace and the power of the Lord. Now here's what Jesus continued to say to the church of Philadelphia. You've been faithful to me, 
I know about the conflict with the synagogue. I'll make those who are in the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews and they're not, they're liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Now there will be this moment, those who once opposed the image of Jesus as Messiah, to come to an unmistakable reckoning, where they see Jesus as Lord, where they acknowledge him as Messiah, when he returns, that will be unmistakable. What Jesus said about this group in particular is that they will have no other choice than to acknowledge that a church who had faith in me is a part of the kingdom of God. And they will have to come to that place where they can say, not only was Jesus actually the Messiah, but he, he has loved you the whole time, even though we told you again and again that he didn't. Uh, that seems like just a, a thing to pass over and move on to the next topic. And I'm tempted to do that. But I also want to acknowledge because of the way that we're facing difficulty in the world around us as believers, when we stand on the truth of God's word, when we, when we take a stand for moral boundaries in the world around us, we have these voices that have power, voices that have the strength of society behind them, voices that have influence, that, that say what, what you believe, it, it, it's so condescending. What you believe is so offensive, so exclusive. What, what you're standing for doesn't affirm the, the decisions and the lifestyles of other people, and it doesn't look like the love I think it should look like. You should redefine your image of love. You should redefine your image of truth and align it with what the world is telling you to believe. We have these voices all around us that are trying desperately to get us to step away from the truth of God's word and accept what people want to be true. As they redefine the structures of our world today. And what God is calling us to do is to lean on his strength and be sustained by his power and in kindness continue to stand on the truth of his word and not be diminished, not be pushed away from, not be swayed from what we know to be true, but to stand and trust that when we're faithful to him, he will make his truth known in the way that only he can. As long as we continue to endure, as long as we continue to be faithful to his word and true to his name, we can trust him and be sustained by that trust, not to bow to the voices that are pressing on us every day of our lives. Jesus continued his message to the church at Philadelphia. That since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I'll also keep you from the hour of trial that's going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. Since you've been, you've kept my command to endure patiently. Now that, that's, that's a very difficult phrase, endure patiently. It's a phrase I struggle with, maybe a phrase you struggle with, because we think forward, we think to the future. And when we face difficulty, when we face conflict, when we face circumstances that are uncomfortable, we want them to be over quickly. We long for them to end so that we can move on to the next thing, so that we can step forward into something that's more comfortable, so we can step forward into something that is less conflicted, that, that brings peace and harmony and joy to our lives. And it's hard to be patient. It's hard to endure. And sometimes we try and force open a door that's been closed because we're impatient. Sometimes we try to shut a door that God has opened in our lives that we know we need to walk through, but we just don't want to. And we fight against the authority of Jesus in our lives. And we struggle in vain. 
because we can't endure patiently. Jesus said to the church of Philadelphia, you have endured patiently. And because of your faithfulness, I'm going to keep you from this hour of trial that's going to come to test all of the inhabitants of the whole world. Now we hear this promise and we want to claim the promise. We look forward to this saving and we think, yes, but we can't look past the reason this church has been made this promise by Jesus. It's because of their faithful endurance, because of their patience, because of their diligence, not being swayed from the word of God, not being pushed back from what they believe. And what we need to be encouraged to do from these verses is to not let anything keep us from our faith in the Lord. Verse 11, he said, I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so no one will take your crown. The one who's victorious, I'll make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. And we read these words of hope that Jesus gave to the church. I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have. Now, these aren't words that tell us as a church to close the doors and hunker down and protect ourselves. Keep the gospel here. Don't spread it. No, these are words of Jesus saying, hold on to your faith. Don't let anyone take your crown. Don't let anyone diminish your relationship with me. Hold on to this. Remain faithful. And the words we hear Jesus say to the church encourage us to remain faithful to him. Hold on to your faith. Don't let it slip through your fingers. Don't get so caught up in the things of this world that that you let go of your faith. Hold on to it. Don't neglect it. Don't set it down because you're so distracted. Don't ignore it and let it rust and fall into disrepair with ill use. When you go to pick it up again, it doesn't work. It doesn't function the way it should because you haven't spent time with it. Hold on to your faith, water, let it grow, let it blossom and bloom. Spend time with God. Hold on to your faith. Take responsibility for it. Spend time in the word, spend time in prayer. Seek after the presence of God. Guard your faith, protect it. Don't Allow voices to distract you from your faith. Don't allow messages to pull you away from the truth that you believe in, but be diligent, be faithful. And here's what he said to those who are faithful to the end, those who are victorious, I'll make you a pillar in the temple of my God. Never will you have to leave it. Now, think of the, the stability of the statement, the, the, the permanence of saying, I'll make you a a pillar in the temple of my God is significant to the believers at Philadelphia who have grown accustomed to feeling an earthquake and fleeing for their lives. Jesus is saying, you have a permanent place in the temple of my God. Where others have tried to say, you don't belong to the family of God. He's saying, no, you have a permanent place in the family of God. And not only will you become a pillar, not only do you recognize the stability of this structure, but I'll claim you. I will write on the faithful, the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. And so we have this image of Jesus, graffiti in the temple of God. No, he's he's writing, inscribing his name, claiming the faithful, belonging to his family, stamping us with this seal that no one can deny. The faithful belong to me, pillars in the temple, belonging to my God, 
the name of the new city, Jerusalem, with my new name that nobody even knows. And we hear these words and we think about the new creation that's going to come. We're pointed to the end of Revelation. This vision that John had of what God is going to do. It's found in Revelation 21, beginning in verse 1. Here's what, he, what John saw. A new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is among his people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars— they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. And we read about this imagery of what's to come, about eternity. And there's hope for us as citizens in, in the kingdom, in this new city of Jerusalem. And we're reminded of the significance of our decisions and our words and our actions that make a difference in the world around us, that make a difference in our relationships, that become the opportunity for us to proclaim the love of God. But they not only have significance here and now, they have significance for eternity. And they determine for us what eternity will look like. And we're reminded that not only is God remaking creation, restoring it to his original design that we would belong with him, that sin wouldn't separate us from God, that we'd be able to live in harmony with him, experiencing his presence for eternity. But this making of all things new is not just what's happening for eternity. It is already beginning to happen right now. And when our decisions align us with the Lord, when we accept Christ as Lord and Savior, repent of our sins and are baptized in his name, we're promised the forgiveness of sins and the presence of the Spirit in our life that begins making us new. When Paul wrote about this in 2 Corinthians, he said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled, to, uh, reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us this, this ministry of reconciliation that not only would we enjoy becoming a new creation in Christ, but we would invite other people to be reconciled to God from their sin, to come back to relationship with him and be made new in the same way. And while we're hoping for this new creation in eternity, we see it happening here and now in our hearts and lives. As we are freed from the hold of sin and made new in Christ, And it all hinges on our decision to accept him as Lord and Savior. These words, these actions, these decisions that happen here and now and have significance in eternity. Jesus closed his letter. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Would you pray with me? God, we're so grateful to have heard your message today. To be confronted with the way we respond to difficulty. 
God, we pray that, that we would continually lean on you for strength to stand, that we would continually trust your provision to help us endure, that we would live for you. Not living for ourselves, not living just to overcome, but live for you, to proclaim your name in the world around us, to draw people into relationship with you. God, I pray that you would inspire us. I pray that you would empower us. I pray that you would sustain us by the power of your word to continue to live our lives for you. God, we thank you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.